0: Today, one man's story and how a movement for worker rights grew out of Hawaii's plantations. There are two interesting people for you to meet, and our story moves from Japan to Hawaii Island. Matsugoto was the oldest son in a farming family in Kanagawa prefecture, Japan. People thought he was a pretty bright guy, enterprising. He worked at the town hall in Oiso, that's his home city. and kind of fell in with this group that was um, pressing the government for democratic reforms. At the time, it was the Meiji government. And they were planning to use Japan's economic base, which was agriculture, to fund the press into the industrial age. For farmers, this meant new taxes, and on top of years of poor harvests, thousands, some say hundreds of thousands, were forced to sell their land. Goto decided to take a chance. He signed on as a plantation laborer in the middle of the Pacific. Goto set off for the Kingdom of Hawaii in 1885. He was 24 years old. arrived in Hawaii in 1885. Patsy Iwasaki is conceivably the world's expert on this man. She's the executive producer and writer for a film documenting Katsugoto's life. Few, even in Hawaii, have ever heard of him. Why is he important? Well, We're meeting Patsy here in Honoka. As you're driving up from Hilo, get to right about across the public library here, you know.
1: So this is, this is us at the Katsugoto Memorial. Over in plantation camp was down here. And then this is the site of the courthouse and the jail too. So it's to, oh, to the left up there. Uh, this place is important because over camp is further down here. And then he was coming back from a meeting with plantation workers at in Camp here to the main street. This was the main street over hundred years ago, and it still is the main street. And he was, he was ambushed and lynched here. Even though it happened in 1889, over hundred, seems like 130 years ago, you know, we have uh, documentation. It was a highly publicized trial, and there's a lot of testimony. So so, what happened um, was after his plant, you know, plantation contract was was done after three years, he opened up his general store, and he became a uh, a leader of the community. And a lot of people would, um, you know, seek his help. He became a mediator, a liaison between the Japanese plantation workers and the plantation management, um, namely over in camp here, because he knew English and. Um, and, 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 I, and I think he, he had a lot of character. It was in his nature to, to become a leader. Mm. Uh, and in the court records, it says that, you know, Japanese workers would, if they were told by uh, Robert Overend or his workers to do something and they weren't really uh, pleased with it, they would always say, um, we're going to go talk to Goto. And we have um, Robert Overend saying that, you know, in the court records, that they would consult with Goto over their contracts, their work, and and other things. And um, in October, earlier in October 1889, there was a fire on um, the, they often call it Honoka Plantation, but over in Plantation. And already by then, um, Goto was a target. So after that fire, the plantation workers were fined, I think, $20 Mm -hmm. For, for causing the fire and we don't know if who, who actually did that or if it was by accident but they were fined and sent to jail and so that night while they were discussing this situation they said well we, be- we better talk to Katsugoto and see how he could help us and so they, they, they asked him they asked to meet with him and then he went over to over in camp to their plantation homes there on the camp and that was a big risk for Katsugoto as well because he's, he was already threatened. So. He was
0: down in the plantation workers area.
1: Right. And then so when he was coming out and coming to the main street of Honoka'a, he was ambushed probably close to, to here, to the memorial. Um, and then he was uh, taken um, and, and hung on a telephone pole a, ways, a little ways down where the um, current Honoka High School pool is now, um, there was a lyceum, there was a courthouse, and there was a jail there. And, and that's where they pulled him off his horse, uh, and um, he fell, and then tied his hands, and, and then they, they hung him on the telephone pole. And hangings at that time, we don't know of many in Hawaii, but in the mainland U.S. at that time, you know, there, there were a lot of hangings happening, especially to the uh, you know, African-Americans. Yeah, they uh, were called there.
0: something else though, right? Yeah. Judicial
1: process here? Right. right. Who were these people? Uh, uh, you know, there was a trial that was highly publicized, and four men were arrested and convicted in the murder case. William Blabin, Joseph Mills, Thomas Steele, and William Watson. Watson would be the only one to fulfill his sentence. Steele escaped through a window and left Oahu on a ship bound for Australia. Blabin slipped out of the prison gate and boarded a ship to San Francisco and Mills was uh, eventually granted a full pardon. And restoration of his civil rights by the
0: Republicans. Party. What is it about the story?
1: What is it about what he did? Hmm. Well, you know, I am a descendant of immigrants, and so I his story really resonated with me, that he wasn't just satisfied to um, open his store and be successful, and the store was a stepping stone for him to get off the plantations and become successful. But um, uh, instead of um, just turning his back on his uh, Japanese you know, fellow Japanese workers on the plantation, he chose to, to, to embrace his role and try to help them. He died for it, you know, he, he sacrificed his life trying to help the situation that he already had left. He already had crossed that line and was a successful businessman. And you know lynchings back then, even in the American South, um, they were to give a message to the people in the community that uh, this can happen to you. Do not overstep. You know, it was a hate crime.
0: Did, did his lynching have that kind of effect?
1: You know, I'm not sure, but it took a it took a while before um, the unions came in. You know, it it you know I'm sure what he did planted the seeds of more equity and of the unionization and equity for workers but but it it didn't happen right away it took several decades later to bring more equity to to the workers on the plantation
0: Katsugoto Memorial in Honoka'a was created in 1994 with the help of the Katsugoto Memorial Committee chaired by Jitsuo Porky Kotake and Yoshito Takamine, an influential representative in Hawaii's legislature from 1958 to 1984. Takamine chaired the House Labor Committee from the 1960s to 70s when key protections for workers were enacted. Labor attorney Dwight Takamine took his father's seat in the legislature in 1984. Look at it. The younger Takamine oversaw the transition out of sugar plantations that is still going on. But I wanted to talk with him about the times when workers' rights were just being written into law, mostly through concerted effort by the labor movement. The ILWU emerged
2: as the strongest union among sugar workers. As you're aware, the ILW saw some attacks, political and otherwise, when they were just forming. I mean, at that time, of course, the state of Hawaii uh, was heavily influenced by the Big 5
0: you We're talking about the
2: 40s. 40s, yeah. Mm-hmm. So some legal issues uh, came up uh, as uh, leaders of the ILW were accused of being communists Clearly, the purpose was to kill the union before it got started, yeah. The the
0: real issue was trying to stem the power of the unions?
2: Exactly. Because when you look at the big picture, right, the the big five, uh, you know, that own pretty much all of the sugar plantations, right, throughout the state, they had been in power pretty much for 50 years or so before the democratic revolution in 1954. And when you talk about timing and the Democrats, many of the 442nd veterans coming back after World War II using the GI Bill to attend law school, uh, you know, gain that kind of background and then coming home because they wanted to see social change. I think, you know, you look at some of those dynamics and I think they become part of what underlay, part of the foundation that allowed the 54 you know, revolution to take place. And therefore, you would hope that you know, then the next consequences, the next steps uh, would move in somewhat of a predictable direction in terms of providing the tools necessary to prevent the kinds of abuses that were imposed on workers and, you know, the working class in the past. I think about the period that
0: that your father was a legislator and so many uh, of what we consider kind of basic worker protections actually had to be thought of and enacted, like just allowing collective bargaining, um, the idea of workers compensation of course the you know prepaid health care act which Hawaii was a leader in for this country it's just hard mm-hmm. to even remember that that we were that right
2: no before getting into that maybe let me give some background personal background of my father you know would um, you his parents immigrated to Hawaii from Okinawa um, both his mother and father and um, his father came first, and that was to purpo- to work on the plantations, right? Because um, there was a lot of poverty in Okinawa and perhaps not enough jobs. Um, in any event, uh, you know, um, my father's mother was a picture bride, and, you know, they ended up raising a family of 13 children. My father was the oldest son. And so, you know, at that time, you um, you know clearly on the plantations uh, you know you had uh, very little pay for long hours of work there were no laws at that time right that you know kind of uh, helped to manage that in a better way and so um uh, basically there was a lot of hardship a lot of sacrifices uh for the families but that was sort of the life of plantation families. It's really
0: hard to imagine. It honestly is that there were, there was no restriction on how many hours you had to work or the conditions that you had to live in under Mm -hmm. or, you know, or recourse if you were not paid.
2: Yeah. Not only that, you know, what you mentioned last, no recourse, you know, the leverage clearly was on the side of management, right? At that time, especially if you try to speak with one voice, you know, just yourself. And I think while my father was growing up, he saw some of those abuses, you know, that occurred. And I think those were the impressions, you know, that kind of weighed on him. So that, uh, you know, he attended Honoka High School and he graduated in 1944, I believe. And soon thereafter started working for the Honoka Plantation that's where his introduction to the union, his introduction to the ILWU occurred. And soon thereafter, he actually became an employee of the ILWU. His first run, again, being encouraged by the ILWU to to do so Mm -hmm. was uh, for the territorial legislature. Hawaii had not yet become a state. Of course, 1959 is statehood, right? After statehood, he ran and was able to serve for a period of 26 years.
0: Mm, Yeah, I mean, and he had that solid support from that whole side of the island, really.
2: You know, that's a good point, because um, the sugar workers, of course, at that time, you know, if you look at the economics, sugar was the number one industry, right, in the state. And each plantation had its own, you know, uh, workforce. And they were all organized under the ILW. So that provided a pretty good base. And was that
0: most of the population on the
2: Hamakua Coast? Actually, it was. Just to give you a, a little bit of an idea, the Hilo-Hamakua Coastline, let's say um, from Hilo down to Waipio Valley, that's most of the windward side of the big island. If you look at that 50-mile coastline, it had, at least in the 1990s, two large plantations. But it didn't start out that way. Uh, When you look at these towns that developed along the coastline, most, if not all of them, developed around a mill operation, right? And you had workers there and their families. And to serve that, then the community grew around those plantation mills. If you look at the Waipio side which would be the northern part of that Hilo hamako coastline arbitrarily let's say Lopohoihoi because that's about in the middle of you know uh, that coastline Lopohoihoi uh, you know had a mill Okala pao Pauhau and Honoka were all these towns that developed around the operations of the sugar mill And, you know, the the plantation families. If you then go more to the south from Lapaweho, you then begin, say, with Ninole. Then you go to Hakalau, And then to Honomu. Then to Pepekyo. And then to Papaiko. And, of Uh course, Wainaku is the sugar mill just outside of Hilo, right? After that airplane bridge. You may be well familiar, but um, Scotch Kurisu, um, he was an independent sugar grower. Two of his sons are named Derek Kurisu and (laughs) Wayne Kurisu. Uh, The reason why I pointed out the Kurisu family is because Scotch Kurisu, the father, I'm sure with the help of his children, had a book written and it's called Sugar Town. I'm not sure if you have uh, read that, but no, uh, if you haven't, it. you need to, okay, because I think it impacts directly on our conversation today. The Kurisus lived um, around in the Hakalau area, yeah? Of course, Hakalau had its own mail operations. And this mm-hmm. book was about all of the people. Yeah, if anything, the people of the community. Of course, you know, the economic activity revolved around growing sugar, harvesting sugar, and the different personalities. And what was so great about the book was that if you go to any of the towns I mentioned, Scotch Carisu had his own, you know, uh, people who were named, who were different characters that uh, you know uh, a lot of people would identify you know and each town would have their own you know Um, and that's that's what to me was so unique and special about about the book It, it gave you a real flavor you know of what plantation life was like and that whole era of sugar and some of the values yeah that it fostered and what were those values uh you know When you have rural communities, right, um, so much relies on relationships. Some of this I kind of learned from my father, just seeing him work, is uh, basically the trust has to be sort of the foundation of any kind of strong relationship. And I think uh, respect goes right along with that. And I think that's how right people kind of develop relationships that allow people to then work together. Going back to... How can the union make a difference through their political action program? Let me give you this situation. At one time, my father was the chairman of the Labor Committee on the House side. And Nadao Yoshinaga was the Labor Committee chair on the Senate side. He was from Maui, and yep, he had worked closely with the ILW. And a person named Ed Nakamura, who ultimately served as a Hawaii Supreme Court justice, was providing technical support to both the House and the Senate as needed. There was another guy named Shoji Okazaki who helped to coordinate that kind of uh, legislative program. Again, you know, that whole idea going back to values, that relationships and trust uh, and honesty uh, and hard work All of those are key ingredients in making you know that kind of you know legislative program work. And when you look at the different laws, they were improved incrementally. It wasn't overnight, it was over a period of time. Yeah, well. You
0: described some real plantation values there.
1: 超下は高<音楽> And so did you ever hear about Katsugoto Goto growing up.
2: I I did it. You know, I mean, I was born and raised in Honoka. Uh, I attended (laughs) Honoka High School, you know, graduated in 1971. In all of those years, not one time did I hear about the name Katsugoto. Patsy Iwasaki has been such a gem in terms of getting more people to just be aware. Yeah. You know, her thought about wanting ultimately to work with the Department of Education I'm thinking in terms of including the Katsugoto story as part of the curriculum uh, would be fantastic. I mean, for all of the, you know, uh, Honoka School students, uh, you know, those who graduate from there, uh, for those who live there, that becomes part of the common heritage. And it's something to be proud of because Katsugoto probably can be looked upon as a, a hero of sorts. He became an advocate for the workers. He was there on the cutting edge. He paved the way for the labor unions that we have now.
0: People call us anti-business, but many of Hawaii's laws were made to protect people, culture, or the environment. And people had to fight and die for those protections. Longtime educator and writer Patsy Iwasaki has written a graphic novel about Katsugoto's life. It's called Hamakua Hero, illustrated by Burrito she's still at work on a film documentary. Former legislator Dwight Takamine practices labor law in Honolulu. Music today was Nick Kurosawa and Otoro with guests from their Yonsei album, plus other gems from the Zembu Records Collection. Until next time, malama pono. Let's take care of each other, okay? <laughs> Aloha. Ahoi With my head